0: All right, we take back up again. We are in the Baptist distinctives, we are still under the general category of uh the Lord's supper, breaking of bread, communion, whichever term you prefer to use. But today, uh under that under that thought, under that uh, subject. I want to go back and take up a chapter that, uh, in, uh, Jeter, that Jeter actually wrote, Baptist Principles <coughs> Reset by Jeremiah Bell Jeter. And, uh, I want to go and take up his, uh, his writing was originally in 1875. The book that I'm using is a Reproduction of the print that was done in Richmond, Virginia in 1902. But under the subject, chapter 11, which is page 96 in Jeter's writing, uh, he takes up something uh, about the uh, controversy, or the differences. That Luke was talking during our lunch break about his interaction with a, a fellow Christian, uh, Presbyterian and uh, and the, the appalling situation of in today's uh, even what we would call generally we could apply the term good churches at least those that are propounding the gospel of God's grace uh, the fact that they see no differences uh, denominationally as if denominations came about strictly out of somehow politics, I I think that's the general view today that these, and that's why so many churches refuse to take any denominational uh, affiliation in their name because they they seem to have a view of these denominations as being things that have just come about through uh, political wrangling. But the reality we know is that there are doctrinal differences. Each of these denominations stand on confessional standards, or at least did stand on confessional standards, and those confessions reflect the differences, doctrinal differences. Well, Jeter takes up this matter of the differences uh, between us uh, on this subject, uh, specifically on the subject of communion. But this, what he has to say could be applied across the board, I think, to all of our differences. First off, he, he, he puts it down to this matter of differences of opinion. He puts it down to the fact of human judgment being imperfect. He says we have briefly stated our reasons for holding what is properly called close communion, which is what Jeter held. we hold to closed communion. Uh, But whatever, we have already set forward our uh, uh, reasons for holding that. And we desire to make an appeal to the uh, candid judgment of all who maintain an opposite view. Then he says, it is not strange that there should be differences of opinion among sincere Christians on this subject. Human judgments are so imperfect and are warped by so many influences of education, interest, association, and taste that we need not be surprised that they reach diverse conclusions. Now I'm going to add to what he's got to say here. He's talking about people who actually hold differing opinions. Uh We all know, and I'll try not to give any hint to whom we may be referring, we know folks who, who we have known for many years that were Baptist, at least they professed, claimed, and acted as if they were Baptist, and then they wound up in the ranks of Presbyterians, and the issues with them uh, to be where they presently are are not differences of opinion. They didn't come to a conviction that the Baptist view of things was wrong and the Presbyterian view of things was right. Jeter wisely points out that many times their judgments are warped, his word, not mine, by the influences of education, interest, association, and taste. I can think right now some Baptists, some brethren that were Baptists that I love, still love very much, who are in the ranks of Presbyterians, and when you ask why, they say Oh that church was just so warm, so warm and loving, and when we came there we were nursing some real injuries, hurt, and they just wrapped us in love. Those, those kinds of things is what Jeter is describing. Difference in taste. There I add the term comfort. These are, these are things that can cause people to take to a different position. They're not thought out theological understanding. It's not the result of study and seeking the, the knowledge of the scriptures, it's purely a matter of taste or education or interest or association. You know, man moves into a town and maybe he was coming from a Baptist church and he's uh, going to start up an insurance firm. He needs good ground, fertile soil for selling insurance. Moves into town he finds out the Baptist church is the smallest church in town and The Presbyterian is the largest. So he goes and joins the Presbyterian church simply because of association. The association benefits him. These are the kinds of things. These are some of the things that Jeter entertains as being reasons why we may have differing opinions. He said the primitive churches under the instruction and supervision of the apostles fell into many serious errors. I mean, right there in the first century, with the benefit of the apostles among them, even they fell into serious errors. Uh, His point being, how, how can we think that there's not going to be differences among us and errors among us? Indeed, he says, liability to mistakes on religious as well as on other subjects is inseparable from human ignorance and enters into man's earthly probation as long as we're human there're going to be errors we say these things we say these things not to extenuate the evils of error but to inspire the airing with the spirit of candor. So, he puts down the differences of opinion on these things, and we have discussed them. That's one reason I'm wanting to bring this lecture into this. We have discussed uh, at some length, some length, the differences of opinion. In fact, this whole course points to that. Uh... Differences of opinion. That's why it's called Baptist distinctives. <laughs> we're speaking of the differences of opinion. So then, what are we to do in the face of all that? Well, Jeter goes on. He says, suppose then that the scriptures do teach, as we have endeavored to show that they do, that the apostolic Church churches were composed exclusively of baptized believers, that baptism was uniformly immersion, and that none but the baptized were admitted into the fellowship of the churches, and that the Lord's Supper was administered within the churches and only to their members. What is the duty of Christians having a clear and settled conviction that that was the divinely established order. What then are we to do? Shall they adhere to it? Or shall they, in deference to the views and feelings of brethren whom they love and whom they would not willingly offend, should they depart from it? Shall they be governed by their own views or by the opinions of others in a matter so grave and so important. Now Luke gave us a testimony at lunch of a man who entertained this question. What shall we do? And he has answered the question. That man, that is, that Luke gave testimony of. His answer to the question is, we just dismissed this whole matter. We count it as a minor issue. Hardly worth our attention. We don't bother with it. We throw out our convictions. And we just move on and amalgamate. Just amalgamate. Well, that's his answer. Jeter has another. (laughs) Jeter has another answer. Listen to it. It is evident that no church or churches no association or convention, no prelate or pontiff has a right to annul an ordinance of Christ or to revoke an order which he has ordained. Now the rest of this paragraph is very good, but let me just stop there and tell you what he has already said. Nobody, no one, nowhere, has a right to dismiss the instructions of Christ. And I would say that to this book or to anyone else and have. Nobody, no man has a right to dismiss the instructions of Christ as if they are not significant, not important. If Christ has made immersion a prerequisite to church membership and placed communion within the church, then it is plainly the duty of his disciples, if they understand his reign, to give the weight of their example and their influence to its support. On this point, there surely should be no difference of opinion among those who acknowledge the supreme headship Of Jesus, in other words, which just comes down to this: Do we agree or not agree that this is what's taught in Scripture? If we can agree that baptism is a prerequisite to the Lord's Supper, if we can believe agree that communion is given only to the church, if we can agree that only baptized professing uh, converts can be baptized. Uh, sorry, only professing uh, converts can be baptized. That is a regenerate church membership we've talked about. If we can agree on all of these things as coming from the scriptures, then we have no latitude to disagree about sustaining them in our churches. We have no latitude for disagreement with that. It is plainly the duty of his disciples. That's how dogmatically, firmly, Jeter lays it down. But now, what about our attitude? Our attitude and our response to this diversity of views. Jeter addresses that. Among the disciples of Christ, there are wide differences of opinion as to the order mentioned, these things we just laid out, as well as immersion and baptism. Others that, that the sprinkling, uh, some persons believe that sprinkling or pouring, as well as immersion, is baptism. Others believe that the sprinkling of an infant is Christian baptism. Some that baptism is not a Christian ordinance, and others that baptism is not a prerequisite to church membership or participation in the Lord's Supper. All these differing views, and we've talked about many of them, most, I suppose all of these. He says this conflict of views brings up new questions for the consideration of Christians. Questions unknown apostolic times and consequently not specifically decided in the scriptures what is to be done in all this exigency. Certainly no party can reasonably claim that its opinions are infallible and that persons who dissent from them are either ignorant or bigoted. We may have an opinion on that, but we have not the authority to declare it. So then he says, the obvious duty of all Christians arising from this diversity of views is, and he starts listing what our duty is. I put numbers in here just for my own aid. Annotations. Number one Not to reproach or persecute each other, but to confess their liability to err. So, number one thing we are not to do, we, what the number one response or attitude is to be that we will not reproach or willingly persecute someone who differs with us. Number two, That we study the scripture with greater diligence and candor. In other words, go back to the book. Go back to the book and solidify in your own heart and mind the conviction for yourself. Number three, give to others full credit for their intelligence and piety. We do not believe that because we hold one, our position, and they hold a different one. We do not conclude from that, that we are more intelligent, nor that we are more pious than they are. That would be a terrible mistake. We believe we're right, and that by conviction. But we would not impinge their intelligence or piety. And number four follow the convictions of their own understandings. Now here's where again the conversation at the table comes in. If a man holds certain conviction says he holds it why does he throw that overboard so easily? He has a responsibility to follow His own convictions stand. Believing as we do that immersion is a prerequisite to partaking of the Lord's Supper, we feel bound not only to follow that rule, but to do what we can to extend its authority. We're not going to bow to others' opinions. In fact, we're going to do everything we can to bring them over to our opinion. Because we believe it's truth, not because it's ours, but because we believe it's true. But we do not condemn or dislike Christians who dissent from our views. We think they are erring brethren and would gladly reclaim them from their error. But we love them for the truth which they hold and many Christian virtues which they Display. Now I think that is a marvelous summary of the attitude that we should adopt in this matter of differences between our Baptist distinctives by conviction and the views of other saints. The last thing I would take up is he kind of throws in here uh, <laughs> something of something of a rebuke. He said uh, the attitude and practice of open communion, not page ninety nine. Uh, the attitude and practice of open communion he demonstrates does not go to its logical conclusion. Page 99 Now this friendly diversity appears very well, but (laughs) I like that. This friendly diversity, <laughs> which I've described to you, suggested to you, appears very well, but let us look a little more carefully into it. Where it leads to no unholy rivalry and secures a brotherly and efficient cooperation, it is quite consistent with the principle of free communion but take the case and then he goes and I won't read all this but he makes he makes a very strong argument from logic if you please a logical argument he says those who practice open communion they want to say follow the argument it's very practical and it's irrefutable those who practice open communion let's say a, a brother and sister comes in here for and among us, when we're going to have our communion service, and they're Presbyterian, and but we have every confidence that their testimony is real, that they are children of Christ, God, and children of God, and and uh, lovers of our Lord as we are, but we differ on this matter. We would say they're barred from communion because they haven't met the prerequisite of baptism and church membership they would say, open communionists would say, no, 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 no. We ought not make this kind of distinction with the Lord's Supper. We should be open to them. Okay, so what Jeter does in these next few paragraphs, couple, three pages, he makes a point, I'm sorry, but that proves too much. If we ought not be separated at, our, at the communion table, then we ought not be separated at all. Why why do we have separate churches? Why do we have separate congregations? Why do we have separate anything? I mean, if we can't abide any distinctions at the Lord's table of all places, then there ought not be any distinctions for us Anywhere, I mean, matters of church government uh, are minor in comparison to the weightiness of the Lord's table. So he's basically saying that those that hold to uh, open communion do not follow that logic to its conclusion. They're 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 unfair with logic. Because if we can't be barred there, then we ought not be barred anywhere. Our congregations should come together. They should be willing to just put on blinders to all of our differences concerning matters of church government, concerning matters of eldership, etc., etc. If you're not going to draw a line at the Lord's table, then you have no... You have no reason to be drawing lines anywhere. Fair logic, good logic. And Jeter says, unfortunately, those who are open communionists do not follow that view to its logical conclusion. And then in some conclusive comments, which I think are value enough for you to see, To hear them, page 101, Jeter closes this particular lecture with this words. It may be asked, Are not the Baptists equally eager to maintain churches in towns where the people are already amply supplied with paedo-Baptist preaching? So they would kind of turn the question on us and say, why would you come into a community to establish a Baptist congregation when there's already ample provision in pedo-baptist pulpits? Perhaps they are. They certainly ought to be. <laughs> Making no bones about the fact that he believes Baptists ought to be doing The cases, however, are widely different. The Pado-Baptist churches are of a common communion. They are branches of a common church. Their members are kept apart by no conscientious convictions. But Baptists occupy entirely different ground. They differ from the Pado-Baptist brethren. On church organization and Christian ordinances, and these differences are deemed of sufficient moment to justify and to demand a breach of ecclesiastical fellowship and communion. In other words, when you compare it, when they when they put the question, why would a Baptist come into a community that already has fatal Baptist ministry? and try to establish churches when they put the question the response is in in brief terms that's not comparing apples with apples if another Presbyterian comes into the community and wants to set up a church that is a legitimate question why would they do that but when a Baptist comes it's not a legitimate question because our Convictions and our doctrine are distinct from theirs and we cannot share in communion. Baptists having as they conceive scriptural views of the formation and discipline of churches which are of great importance to the progress and final triumph of the kingdom of Christ deem it their duty without any abatement of their love their duty without any abatement of their love to their Christian brethren who dissent from these opinions to maintain and propagate them not only by tongue and pen but by by pursuing a course in perfect consistency with them. We do not see inconsistency here. They do not hesitate therefore that is, Baptists, to found and support churches in towns and neighborhoods well supplied with pedo-Baptist churches and pastors because it is considered their duty, at least the duty of such of their membership as truly believe in Christ, to be baptized and unite with Baptist churches. This conviction is neither bigotry nor intolerance. Do not Pado Baptists believe that Baptists should have their children baptized and become members of Pado Baptist churches? If they do not, they are not loyal to their own creeds. And we are pleased to say that Baptists, certainly with very few exceptions, have a firmer conviction. I wish that could still be said. It can't be. But it is, in his day, he could say it. Baptists, with very few exceptions, have a firmer conviction of the truth of their distinctive principles. It all comes to this. If our principles are true, we are right in maintaining them, and all paedo-baptists, that is all believers, should accept and be governed by them. And if, on the other hand, pedo baptism and open communion are scriptural, then Baptists and all other persons should accept those principles and be governed by govern themselves accordingly. If our readers should be led to a candid, thorough, and God-fearing examination of these subjects in the light of divine revelation, our end will have been gained. In other words. If anyone would come to the scriptures with a candid, thorough, and God-fearing examination on these subjects, the differences would end. And we would all be of a Baptist persuasion. Now that sounds haughty, but it is not. It's simply standing on the truth. As Jeter Well makes the argument. If what they believe is right, we should throw down everything and pitch in with them. If what we believe is right, they should throw down everything and pitch in with us. So it simply comes down to this, who do we believe is right? We believe we hold to these distinctives because they are biblically demonstrable. without the agency of councils or synods or history or tradition or ancient fathers without any of that straight out of the scriptures we believe they are defensible from the scriptures and therefore we have a duty to maintain them without compromise and that is a thing which this generation struggles with (laughs) in any area frankly not just theology in any area we're in a generation of uh, unprecedented amalgamation and to stand apart in anything is a shocking thing in this hour so we deal somewhat a brief overview Concerning our differences with other brethren. Do we want to add any comments or questions to the lecture? I think one of the things my wife and I discuss this probably at least once a week, not more. One of the things that I'm impressed with, we are impressed with, uh, impressed is probably not the right word, one of the things we are constantly disturbed with is the complete unwillingness of this generation to stand on anything. They simply, the the idea of taking a stand, the whole concept of taking a stand is so foreign to their thinking that, that is appalling. Everybody embraces everything from everyone in this generation and any, they're all afraid to take a stand on anything. And the only thing that we find intolerable for our generation is those of us who stand those who will stand on anything are the only ones that seem to be anathema and intolerable. They cannot tolerate one who stands. but this is the Baptist tradition. this is what we have held and do hope. <clears throat> All right? Let us pray together and dismiss.